0: Hi, welcome to the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, and I have Dr. Erin Schoenfelder joining me. She is a psychologist, assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at UW, that's the University of Washington, for those of you outside of the state. And she's the Director of Behavioral Treatment at the Seattle Children's Pearl Clinic, that's the program to enhance attention, regulation, and learning. That sounds so good to me. Um, Dr. Shane thanks so much for joining.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So Dr. Shane Felder sees kids who and their families who have challenges with inattention and attention. And we want to talk a lot here about what really is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and kind of, you know, how can parents understand where it comes from, when it really is there, how to diagnose it, and how to support their children and families. And Dr. Shanefelder's is here as an expert. And, you know, I think one of the things that's so obvious about her is her profound commitment to making the relationship better between kids and their parents. And she really, you know, I think, would you agree? Yeah, (laughs) I would
1: say that's my number one goal with the work that I do is helping parents and kids have that solid relationship that's going to carry forward into the teen years, into their adult years, that's going to protect them as they go through ups and downs in development. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think of, you know, the relationship we have at home is just the beginning of the relationship you have with the world. Absolutely. You know, and I think... Um, as I've coached and helped and supported families who have challenges with inattention or ADHD, that that can get disrupted, right, because of the challenges associated that these kids experience.
1: Absolutely. It is much more challenging to parent a child who needs a lot more redirection and correction and reminder uh, than other kids do. And it can really take a toll.
0: Yeah, I'm like, I'm saying this again. So for all of you out there listening, Just listen to this. It is much harder to parent a child who has inattention, hyperactivity, or even a diagnosis of ADHD than it is to parent a child who doesn't have that challenge. And Mm -hmm. so if you're struggling or if you know someone who's struggling or you witness another family in your school or your neighborhood or your family struggling, it's harder for them. So I think as we go forward talking about um, why do children have ADHD and parenting strategies, I would love to attempt – for all of us to have more compassion, because we're a little bit more knowing about how hard this is.
1: Yes. It, it's ADHD has been called the invisible disability, because it's invisible to those in a child's life who don't live with them and see their behavior day to day. So it's hard for people to understand often. But yeah. It's very real though.
0: Yeah, it is very real. And I think the dysfunction's real and the frustration, anxiety, and kind of like upsetness that comes from families. And one of the things that you said to me, Dr. Shanefelder, is that you know kids don't get ADHD because of bad parenting. That's right. You know, and that um, ADHD comes from kind of a milieu of environment and genetics and propensity, um, and so let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So, um,
0: first off, you know, I think um, tell tell us a little bit about um, what it is and like how how a parent when a parent gets worried about inattention, what's inattention or hyperactivity that needs to send a mom or dad into a pediatrician and what isn't? How, how do they know that? Guide mm-hmm. us with that a little bit.
1: Yeah. And as we know, every child and even every adult has some difficulties with attention and focus, right? It's normal for kids to be restless and want to interrupt when parents are on the phone and get out of their seats. Uh, but what we're looking at when we're trying to find out if a child has ADHD is, is it outside of the normal range given that child's age and their development? So, You know, a five year old would be climbing on the shelves, maybe, or hanging on you when you're trying to talk to another adult. But a nine-year-old should be able to hold back and think through and kind of inhibit some of those impulses more. Mm-hmm. So we have to compare the child to other kids in their same age group when we make the diagnosis.
0: Yeah, and it's hard for parents to do that if their kids aren't around a big group or if they're a first-time parent. I always joke that, yeah. like, I'm always a first-time parent because my kids were never exactly how old they are today, yeah. right? So um, so let's talk about what does a four-year-old do um, that's typical restlessness and hyperactivity hyperactive. I mean, and then what would a four, five, six year old as mom and dad are looking at a young child and they're readying for school do that would be more alarming for you? Can you give us mm-hmm. some examples?
1: Yeah. Four year olds are bundles of energy and we expect that. They've got they want programming from start to finish. They're always looking for the next thing. They get bored easily. Uh, they want attention and they don't think through the best ways to get it sometimes. And that's completely natural. Yeah. Uh, but what we're looking for is when we see that child standing out in different settings that they're in. For example, when a teacher identifies that this child is really having trouble engaging in class, teachers are great with thinking about a norm age group uh-huh. because a kindergarten teacher has probably seen hundreds of kindergartners. Yes, yes. So yes. they can give you their perspective if your child is standing out from other kids. Yeah. Yeah you might also think about is some of your child's behavior really risky? Is your child getting hurt more often than other kids? And is your child maybe starting to fall behind in learning some things that other kids are, even on the soccer field? Mm -hmm. Is your child following the flow of the game and able to follow the coach's instructions about as well as other kids? (laughs) Now, they're always going to be kicking dandelions from time to time, but... (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) Staring at the sky is the typical job of the outfielder. Exactly. Exactly. But with time, we'd expect them to to get more engaged and to know where am I going to kick the ball next uh, and ADHD can impact that.
0: Okay so if you were talking with um, a parent to a five-year-old or what have you how would you define what ADHD is?
1: Mm-hmm. So ADHD is a developmental disorder which means that it is based in the brain it's something that you have uh, from the time you're very young and it affects the way that you process incoming information and respond to it. So when we think about ADHD, we're usually thinking about the symptoms or the behaviors that are visible to us, like the hyperactivity, being the Energizer bunny, or staring into space and daydreaming a lot. But really, ADHD is a way of understanding how a child's brain works. Mm-hmm. And that can tell us a lot about how to help them. Mm-hmm. So we do focus a lot on what we see visibly, and what kind of behaviors, but we wanna understand that uh, it's much more complicated than that. It's not just a set of behaviors.
0: Well, and the other thing about ADHD too, right, is that it isn't one small period of time, right? It persists mm-hmm. over time. So yes. I like how you even described it's really a, at the brain level, right? And so when we even were diagnosing, right, we go way back. We ask parents about the birth history. We ask parents about early years, including infancy and toddlerhood, not because we're saying when a toddler's impatient when they're two, that means that they're going to have ADHD, right? But that But that there's been disruption, right, throughout a child's lifetime in some ways when you meet them.
1: Absolutely. And ADHD is not something that suddenly just crops up at, at a later point in life. We would want to hear about ways it might have shown up, even if it wasn't really worrying parents early on. Can we find some evidence that it was there all along, yeah, uh, especially for inattentive kids, sometimes it doesn't get caught until much later because it just doesn't really cause many problems in kindergarten. If you're daydreaming, uh, as the curriculum gets harder, we're more likely to hear parents coming in and starting to be worried. But when we look back, we'll usually see some examples that were there.
0: Yeah, and so I, I don't think the, you know, I don't think most families understand. Tell, tell, explain the difference between inattentive and non-inattentive, you know, ADHD and that kind of subset of the diagnosis?
1: Sure. There are two clusters of symptoms in ADHD, and one are the inattentive symptoms. So those are the things like having trouble following through with instructions, getting distracted, um, losing things, being disorganized. And the second cluster, those are the hyperactive impulsive symptoms. That's Mm -hmm. what I think we see more, you know, in, in the media. And those are the energizer bunny, the climbing on things, interrupting... Class doing clown. things, yes, doing things without thinking it through, kind of sticking your foot in your mouth a lot. And yeah. <laughs> well, we all have some of these tendencies. We all do. Right? We like, all do. And, yeah. and you can have maybe some difficulties in just one of the two clusters. Yeah. Most likely, there are some symptoms in both.
0: Yeah. And one also important part of, of diagnostics, right, and, and ensuring that a child's diagnosed appropriately is that the symptoms are across settings, right? So that means a child has challenges with their attention or their hyperactivity or impulsivity at home, and the soccer field, at school, and in other places. Can you talk a little bit about that, yeah. too? So if families are kind of thinking about how who their kid is right now, and they're trying to say, like, do I need an evaluation? What do they need to see in some ways yeah. to understand that?
1: Yeah, we want to talk about all the different settings that a child would be in, all the different environments, and we would expect if ADHD really is there that it would show up in all of the different settings. So at home, child might be having trouble getting themselves dressed consistently and remembering all of the steps and staying on track. Uh, At school, we would expect teachers are noticing something, that child is not engaging or child's out of their seat or maybe class clown as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would expect to see it usually in extracurriculars and importantly with friendships with trying to make friends we see kids with ADHD really struggle more there so you don't have to have it in every single category but there does need to be some evidence in different settings because if it was only happening at school we might wonder if maybe there's something going on with learning instead or some adjustment issue with that particular type of classroom or setting.
0: Well that's a great segue. So you know help us understand when things are not ADHD. So you know I think what I'm hearing right now and and I know from being a pediatrician and helping and supporting families, you know, it's number one, it's harder to parent a child who has these challenges at the kind of brain level of responding to stimuli in the environment and expressing themselves and connecting. Um, Also that Kids who have challenges and reach a diagnosis of ADHD, have them in all the different places they go, and they persist for years in their life, right? Yes. So that it doesn't just like crop up in second grade, yep. that all of a sudden a kid is totally different. There might be something else going on. Yes. So, you know, as, as a reminder for families, you know, we always want to exclude other problems in some ways before we we diagnose. That's just a way, you know, that we do medicine. We exclude some things that symptoms would guide us to, um, to make sure we're making a proper diagnosis. So, you know, and I, I can't say strongly enough that, you know... You know, I've done a lot of podcasts even about sleep. And we know, you know, when we don't sleep, we're gnarly people, right? Like, we're harder to control. We're, like, potentially more hyperactive. We're more impulsive. We have a harder time paying attention. We don't succeed as well at school. We don't succeed with friendships. We don't succeed at home. So poor sleep, right? Inconsistent sleep, potentially even something like sleep apnea getting in the Mm way, has to be ruled out before you can say, the reason my child's having these challenges is just at the brain level that they're... They've got this developmental challenge,
1: right? Yeah, I think we can all relate. You know, every parent has had those sleepless nights, and uh, I certainly know when I don't get good sleep, I'm not focusing, and I'm losing things, and I'm getting more disorganized. Um, and same with dealing with major stress in your life. If you're um, worrying about something, if you're feeling uneasy and on edge, if you've got something going on you know, with your significant other that's stressing you out, those things are going to affect your ability to pay attention and engage in, mm-hmm. in the different activities that you do. So it's really important before we start treating a child for ADHD, we have to make sure that there isn't another explanation that we could address in a different way. Yeah. So,
0: list out in some ways what are those things that parents, as they're thinking about talking with a pediatrician or family doc or nurse practitioner, if they're worried, what are they? What do they need to rule out before even going down a set of diagnostics for ADHD? Yeah,
1: there are a lot of things that could be on that list, okay. and so it's uh, medical issues are are one avenue we want to make sure we go down to see. Um, might there be a sleep issue? Might there be an issue with you know, thyroid? Uh, we want to rule out any other possibility, head injuries, things that might contribute to some of these difficulties. Um, we and you call also, those like medical
0: mimics, right? Medical mimics. So that that's means. Right. Uh, so just explain that. So that means, gosh, if your child is running like the Energizer Bunny or or your child is staring off into space. Both of those actually could be something wrong with your thyroid, right? Are you too slow? Are you too revved up? That's kind of what the thyroid right. does, right? So, and that's easily screened by a blood test. So families can know that. That if you're going through an evaluation of exclusion, you may that may require some blood testing in addition to some information about how does your kids sleep and how sure. have they slept throughout their lifetime.
1: Yeah, there should be a medical workup involved in in making this diagnosis, certainly. Yeah. So what else? And then, as psychologists, we're looking for other types of factors that would affect that child's behavior day-to-day, and that wouldn't necessarily be brain-based uh, per se. So we want to think about anxiety. So we might compare the child's behavior in settings where they're really at ease, like when mm. they're playing with their cousins around the Christmas tree yeah. versus when they're having to go to the first day of school and uh. meet a whole bunch of new kids.
0: Do you think that that anxious kids um, – Get diagnosed with ADHD. Do ADHD kids have anxiety? Like, what's that yeah. relationship? Help us understand. Yeah,
1: that. that's it's complex because we do see about thirty percent of kids with ADHD also have a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. Wow. So they co-occur a lot, and it probably there's some of the same processes that kind of contribute to both. They they both have to do with filtering information from your environment and responding to it. Yeah. Um, but ADHD, of course, can cause anxiety. If if you've been struggling in class and you feel like you just don't get the math and now you have timed tests and uh, you just feel like you're going to fail, of course you're going to be restless and looking for distraction and getting out of your seat and not paying attention. Yeah. So it can kind of go either way yeah. um, with with causing that stress.
0: And when it comes to learning challenges, kind of being a mimic as well, what is, what do you how do you guide families to make sure that they figure out that it's not. Um, a learning disability or learning challenge Mm -hmm. that both affects home and school, yeah. and it, where it isn't ADHD or attentive inattentive ADHD. Yeah.
1: when families come in and they say the difficulties really are related to school in particular, to us that's a red flag. We want to make sure we understand how this child learns best and what their strengths and weaknesses are with processing you know, verbal information and nonverbal information and how quickly they work. Yeah. So and
0: you could go ahead. We, Sorry, go, keep going. <laughs> so
1: we would want to do in that sort of case we would want to do really thorough testing this is the kind of testing that many schools will do if your child's being evaluated for special accommodations where they'll look at learning and kind of compare it to your child's cognitive abilities or or mental abilities. So if a
0: family's with their pediatrician or a family's out on their own and they're trying to figure that out, what would you like what scripting can we give parents to ask the school to help them? figure that out together. So mm-hmm. from a, you know, psycho- like cognitive psych testing or, or what is it that schools can offer in your experience that's really helpful for families who worry about how their child is learning?
1: Right. Um, we would recommend parents being really clear and probably putting this in writing so that they can kind of look back on the timeline of it and, and pointing out the difficulties they're hearing from the teacher or the difficulties they're seeing coming home in the homework and making a specific re- request that I would like my child to be accommodated or, and first of all, evaluated to find out whether, it's, whether something in their learning is impacting their classroom behavior. So parents should be requesting schools to make this type of evaluation. You can also get it in the community as well. Um, but but schools are a first stop for assessing these types of issues. Yeah, sometimes
0: I'll hear from families, I mean to be honest with you, like I'll hear from families that they ask for help and they don't really feel that their child's been evaluated and then they have to go to the community. And that's not to throw schools under the bus. It's just that at times, of course, schools, as to your point, it's teachers can be so helpful in identifying challenges, yes. you know, that kids have. So but what they so they should put requests in writing and what and they should ask for a learning evaluation. Like what's the words yeah. that parents should use?
1: The the official terminology is a psychoeducational evaluation or psychoeducational testing. Okay. So they might put that specifically in there, or uh, you can also turn to the the legal terminology and ask that your child be evaluated under IDEA for special special accommodations. accommodations
0: yes. Okay, great. And then. And then lastly, can we talk a little bit about how a misdiagnosis may come with changes in a life? So if a family is separating or being divorced or moving across the country yeah. or starting a new school or there's a death in the family or something stressful happens, do you see kids misdiagnosed at that time in bereavement or in other conditions? Or help us understand when, when that's happening. So if a family's, Certainly. you know, is it that it, that the, a condition kind of, I almost feel like it unveils the reality to a family of like, gosh, has this child had an ADHD challenge this whole time? And now I'm seeing it because they're stressed or what's the what's the dynamic there? Sure.
1: Sure. And uh, so I can think about my own life going through major transitions, for example, taking a new job and moving across the country. I'm kind of at my limit for keeping track of all the new things that I need to learn. And I feel more tense and on edge until I've had a good chance to to settle in and figure out how everything works. Right. So um, certainly if a child's dealing with some big changes at home, um Divorce is a perfect example. Uh, I think we tend to see some of these difficulties with paying attention and Mm -hmm. following instructions come up more then. Um, We want to get a really thorough social history for kids of who they've lived with, what their family situations have looked like. Have there been any major stressful things that have gone on in recent years or even in their early development? And we also want to be able to rule out a serious trauma uh, because in children, PTSD looks a lot like mm. ADHD. I bet. And so we always ask those questions about whether a child might, might have witnessed something or been through something really traumatic so we can make sure that, that maybe that's not the treatment route that the child needs instead.
0: So, um, quickly, if you had to, like in a soundbite or two, describe what causes ADHD. What is it that causes ADHD? Mm -hmm.
1: The primary thing that causes ADHD is genetics. ADHD is about as heritable as height. So if you think about the height of your parents and your own height, you're probably pretty similar to one parent or the other and the same goes with ADHD if a parent had childhood problems with ADHD or maybe still has some ADHD issues as an adult there's a really good chance they're gonna have a child who's going to struggle with those things okay yeah. so that's that's one that's the primary place it comes from um, but we know there are things that can kind of um, complicate the picture or make things worse we know exposure to you know toxins in the prenatal environment can increase the The risk. We know those early years of development are really crucial in terms of the kind of stimulation kids get and the kind of care they get.
0: Yeah. So attentive, um, you know, bonding and reading and talking directly with your kids, right, is a way in, in ways to, if you have ADHD as an adult and you're raising a child, one way to mitigate, I think, the genetics, right, is to talk, read, love, bond, be available, right? I mean, I think. Yeah. How, how do And we... I,
1: I don't know that that we could say that would prevent the ADHD, right, right. but what it might do is really improve behavior and functioning in a lot of ways, and your, your child's self confidence and their mm-hmm. motivation to work and try to try, try to reach goals, and that's going to help a child even if they have some hardwiring difficulties yeah. with attention.
0: I mean, it's kind of a funny thing. It's. Kind of, I want to say. I want to say to parents like. It's not your parenting that causes ADHD, it's not you who yeah. cause it and then we look at ourselves and look at our genes, right? Yes. So it's this funny kind of catch where I want families to, that's what I was saying like you know what do we do that that kind of good good nurturing behaviors in those early first 1000 yes. days of a child's life, right? Yeah. Um, cuz I think there's guilt that comes around in my experience of helping families with kids who get a diagnosis or, or have a diagnosis of ADHD. There's there's guilt in all sorts of different layers sure. and part of that I think comes from Feeling that it's kind of how the hardwiring, right, that comes mm-hmm. comes through the genetic code that way, right? Yeah. So I think, um, okay. So let's talk quickly about what do families need, bef- like, to know that their child's been diagnosed appropriately with ADHD. What needs to happen so that if if you're if they're out listening now, you know, how can they feel confident that their child, when they weren't diagnosed with ADHD or they were, that they did everything they needed to do. What is that list?
1: Right. So there the procedures that any given professional might go through vary a lot. So it is important that you're getting a really thorough evaluation that covers all the pay- bases. So One thing is that uh, the professional diagnosing should take a really thorough history of your child. They should be asking about medical history, about family history, genetics, about your child's social functioning over time, their academics, um, trying to rule out anything else that might be a better explanation for what's going on. That's that's the primary kind of bulk, is finding out how does ADHD show up in different settings over time? Um, how is it causing difficulties? But then we have a number of tools that we use, and a checklist of is this symptom present, yes or no? You know, does my child have a lot of energy, uh, zero through three? That's not a great diagnostic tool, because we really need a tool that compares your child to other kids their age. Mm. So your professional you're working with should be giving you a very a thorough questionnaire that you, other caregivers, teachers, um, babysitters can fill out so that everybody's perspective can kind of be represented to your child in different settings and, and norms. and
0: can you list a couple of those like I mean I, I could do it as a pediatrician the Vanderbilt the Connors like I mean are there other scales that parents should be asking for or just yeah. inquiring about if they're looking into the evaluation for their child
1: right the Connors 3 is a very well standardized scale and that's that's the one that we usually use the Vanderbilt is more of a screening measure so that's the kind of checklist yep. which might tell you should I see more thorough evaluation uh, but that one's not age-normed so we would want something a little more thorough but your your child, sh- you should also be filling out some questionnaires that are more broad asking about things like anxiety and mood and social skills um, so those would be things like the child behavior checklist or uh, the the BASC is another one um, and those kind of scales can help us rule out the other things as well.
0: And so tell us why evaluations help. Like, you know, if you and and who does an evaluation, right? Mm-hmm. So well, actually let's start there. Like, who who's the appropriate person as best you can describe it to help a family who's concerned that their child might have ADHD?
1: Yeah. We really encourage although we're a specialty clinic, we encourage that uh People talk first to your pediatrician. So pediatricians are often well equipped and comfortable making that diagnosis and Mm -hmm. getting that information that's needed. Uh, But their psychologists are also professionals who really specialize in diagnosis and would do a really thorough background and lots of rating skills. Yeah, so that might be a
0: nice way to point out, you know, I think as a pediatrician, right, I, I I'm thankful for you saying that. But I think at the same time, if you you know go to a pediatrician and you don't feel entirely confident about the work. Up or about an evaluation or how things are going, it's always a great idea to get a second opinion. And a sure. psychologist or another pediatrician um, or a psychiatry team could be a really good team to help you do yeah. that. eval. Right? Yeah. Is that right?
1: And yeah. any any psychologist you're working with or psychiatrist should be partnering with your primary care doctor as well, because they're the ones who know your child best and might be the ones providing your care longer term than a special clinic.
0: So a- as we kind of close out the podcast, I, I want to talk quickly about Treatment and overdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. So, and I think you know this is this kind of grandparenty thing where people are like, "Ah, oh, kids have always been like this. Everyone's getting diagnosed with this. All these kids are on medicine. They don't need to be." You know, can you give us a little guidance? Some, um, you know, I think families want medicine because they want life to be better after a child's been diagnosed. They worry about using medicines and stimulants for children. Mm-hmm. They feel the societal pressures that they've kind of failed if if they're going to medicine. I mean, um, and then in the same, pa- they're getting at the same time, they're getting kind of this pressure from the world that maybe their kid doesn't even have a challenge that needs medicine. Right. How can we help coach people as they kind of you know go down this journey or think about it um, to be compassionate with families who are supporting their children with stimulants and, and families who are considering them?
1: Right. It is a fact. The rates of diagnosis of ADHD are increasing over time. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one would be that uh, people are maybe diagnosing pretty quickly in brief appointments not getting the full history and not ruling other things out. So I think there's some misdiagnosis there. Okay. Um, but also awareness is a lot more than it was in the past. And believe it or not, we do have evidence in medical textbooks going back to the mid-1800s of ADHD being documented. Of course, they had different names for it back then. Okay. Um, but kids having trouble um, with sitting still at the table and knocking chairs over and uh, being impulsive. So it's there's evidence it has been there a long time. It's just that the way our society is set up more now, it's a lot harder for a kid with ADHD to get by (sighs) the demands. What do you mean? Like, why
0: is that? You mean because schools are doing a lot more testing? Schools are more rigorous? um,
1: You know, kids are
0: being asked to participate in lots of stuff. Like, I mean, what is it that it why is it harder to be a kid now with ADHD than it was maybe 40 years ago?
1: Yeah, I think there are rising demands in education and mm-hmm. pressures that schools have to maintain a certain quality and standardization across mm-hmm. all the different um, different parts of our country. And that can be hard to try to fit a, a square peg in a round hole sometimes with kids to have to do that long testing and and just fit into a single mold, I think um, many years ago there was there was likely more flexibility, or even if schooling wasn't for you, there were lots of other options. You know, a hundred years ago, if you had ADHD, it might have actually been a good thing in some ways to have more energy and you might have a trade where you it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> it's just now we expect um, we expect this certain level of academic engagement that's really yeah. hard to to achieve so.
0: How many kids grow out of ADHD?
1: Yeah. We, the studies show us that about half of kids who are diagnosed By the time they're a young adult, they won't meet criteria anymore to be diagnosed with ADHD. So maybe they've learned some skills, brain development changes, and it's really not a major issue. That's not to say they have no symptoms left of ADHD. They might still struggle with organization and might still need some support. But that means about half of kids with ADHD will have difficulties with this in adulthood and uh, will need to be set up. And that's something parents can do at an early age is start putting things in place so they can be successful successful and, and have the tools. Well, and that's part of the
0: beauty of earlier diagnosis and talking about this the minute you start to worry about it, right, that you said you can probably, you know, really improve relationships at home, yeah. success at school, relationships with friends if we get a hold of this really yes. early in a child's life.
1: And that's the biggest benefit of a diagnosis is to help people understand why the behaviors are happening, and how a child operates. Yeah. Yeah. Because then we can have compassion and we can find ways to help. And we can also look at the the research. We know a lot about how to help with ADHD. That's the good news is if you receive this diagnosis we have a lot of evidence about what helps. And,
0: and primarily stimulants really help, right? I mean, they really we'll talk about do. that in the next yep. podcast. There but, are yeah. some
1: other, some behavioral approaches, but stimulants really do work. We know that. And um, and that can be a game changer for lots of kids. Yeah,
0: in addition to kind of all these cultural and classroom accommodations and home accommodations that we can do with our kids. And yes. we'll talk more about that in the next one. So as a summary, you know, I think Dr. Sheenfelder really highlighted that what causes ADHD it's primarily genetics and that this is a kind of cellular brain level change in a child that makes it harder for them to be um, to control their activity level, to, to be, you know, they're more likely to be impulsive. It's harder to make friends. It's harder to be at home. It's sometimes harder to sleep. It's harder to succeed. Mm-hmm. So as, as you look and if you worry about your child with ADHD, making sure you rule out some medical problems, sleep problems, learning problems, even comorbid things things like anxiety, and then even environmental or life circumstances first, and getting an evaluation from a pediatrician, family doc, nurse practitioner, or psychologist who really looks at birth history, um, family history, what runs in the family, social history, sleep, and everywhere your child acts and is getting information from all the stakeholders in a child's life. So a big workup can mean a really more precise understanding of how your child is, how they learn, and if ADHD is a challenge for them. Dr. Shane Felder, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll be back for more with parenting tips for parents to kids with ADHD. But this is a really big reminder that it's hard to parent, particularly hard to parent kids with ADHD. And... The reality always is that parenting is a high-stakes job, but the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcasts episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn, tell me if you want to join me, and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from.